Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hey, it's me, Melissa. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by No More Guilt with Melissa Landry. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation meant for educational purposes. Look, we're dietitians, but we're not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're looking for the process, support, and focus you need to live life without food guilt, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into one-to-one programs, group programs, and I recently added a do-it-yourself format, the Ex-Dieter's Guide to No More Guilt. Apply for a program at melissalandrynutrition.com. I hope to meet you soon. Hola, hola, chula. Hi there. Today, we have a very special guest in Maria Sylvester Terry who is a fellow registered dietitian. And today we're going to talk about a question many of you ask us, which is why dietitians can't seem to agree on weight loss. So first I'm going to have you introduce yourself, Maria, and then we'll dive in on that question. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. What many people may not know is that I met Delina many years ago, it feels like, as her intern. Um, So that's really how I've come into this conversation is I learned a lot from Delina. I was my second year of graduate school at Drexel. I was a career changer. I was an English teacher and a school administrator for a while and just decided I was ready to move on and do something different, something that really allowed me to live a comfortable, less stress, <laughs> less stress life while still impacting a lot of change. And I felt like Delina lived and breathed that mission of impacting change that really needed her advocacy. So where I saw, I was on my way to a cruise and saw her Instagram say she wanted an intern. I was like, I'll do anything she wants. And that's sort of how it started. So I met her after I came back from my cruise and the rest is history. So right now I am living in New Orleans, very far away from Philadelphia, um, where I work as a registered dietitian after I completed my dietetic internship at Tulane, which was an awesome experience. And my role is to be the Eat Fit NOLA regional dietitian. There's six regions of Oshner Eat Fit. Oshner is a health system here in Louisiana. It's the largest health system in Louisiana. And they are one of the only health systems to have a nutrition focused nonprofit organization that works with restaurants, works with grocery stores to ensure that there are nutritious items on menus, in corner stores, wherever food is available. And we're working on hospitals too. So I manage hundreds of restaurant locations. I just came from a meeting with one of New Orleans finest executive chefs. Um, and I love it. So I don't do a traditional uh, dietitian uh, job. I work in the community and I have lots of quote clients who are chefs and staff and restaurant owners. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I bring a very different perspective to this whole conversation. This is so incredible for the audience to hear too, because yes. I think their traditional conception of a dietitian might be what they see maybe on Instagram, maybe an outpatient experience you had. Uh, dietitians do lots of different things. 
And so it's, it's really cool too, that you can bring the health at every size intuitive eating lens into those spaces. Cause I'm, I'm sure you're finding interesting and nuanced ways to do that as well. Yeah. Especially in the deep South. That's amazing. Well, we're so well, I'm glad. glad they have you. Very hard for Delina to say. I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> yeah. It did sound a little, yeah. little veiled. Um, I cried. I, I literally, when she said she was leaving, I was like, why are you doing this to me? You're ruining my life how am I ever going to do my social media by myself? (laughs) Like I spiraled. (laughs) You found your way, Delina. I did, I did, I did. And we are often sharing Maria's posts, both of us. So um, you you can say your handle now if you'd like, but we'll say it at the end. Where can they find you? Oh, I'm at vitamin underscore re. Okay. And, you know, right before we started recording, I told Maria the reason why we thought of her for this topic today was because Maria does such a nice job pointing out some of the things that are missing in these like bite-sized posts we often see on Instagram around intuitive eating. And so we'll definitely get into that. Is it okay to dive in with some questions here to help the audience understand why dietitians don't seem to agree and how they can navigate that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So first I thought we'd take a step back. And talk about how dietitians are trained. So Delina and I, Delina, you've been a dietitian like 10 years, right? Less? Don't make me feel that old. I've been been 11 years. Um, No, uh, eight years. Eight years. Okay. So you are more recently trained. So tell us a little bit about your training. And then we can talk about, you know, from there, how intuitive eating, health at every size may or may not come in. So tell us a little bit about training more recently. Sure. So as a non-traditional candidate, I took a lot of coursework at community colleges to mm-hmm. be able to apply to a dietetics program. So my first degree was in English and education. So all I had was like psych and an English class to count. All of my science classes had lapsed. So I took your traditional science classes, you know, chem, biochem, biology. Um, I was able to take counseling, nutrition 101. And then when I applied for my master's program, which is a master's of science program at Drexel, I needed to have A's and B's in all of those classes. So when I started, I had to kind of act like I knew my stuff or actually know my stuff when it came to metabolism, vitamins, uh, the way nu- nutrients are absorbed in your body. And I took courses like um, critical care, community nutrition. I took classes that were nutrition in the life cycle. So learning from birth or like, uh, you know, just being uh, in the womb to geriatric nutrition learned everything I might need to know pertaining to what issues might happen, what nutritional uh, problems might arise and how to solve them. When it came to counseling and pharmacology type classes, it felt like a rush. (laughs) I was just rushed through, Not not to say I was bad at it, but it's something you need to get a lot of practice at. And it's in one, you know, one semester of a course. So I found that there were areas where I just loved it uh, and I got a lot of practice and areas where I wish I could have majored or had another degree in counseling because you are working with people. I didn't have any classes on, um, maybe I had like world nutrition. I did get to travel to Costa Rica and experience the healthcare system there. And so I did have opportunities to see public health in different ways. I did not have the opportunity, opportunity to really navigate how I believed uh, nutrition could be applied because there was really just one size fits all, which is this is bariatric nutrition. This is weight loss nutrition. This is sports nutrition. And there was no middle ground at all. Like, how do you talk to people about their individual needs? So 
I've had to do a lot of that research on my own through trial and error. Uh, and certainly my dietetic internship helped. So after I graduated, found my dietetic internship match, that was very exciting. And I did a community uh, emphasized program, which meant I did the bare minimum of clinical, like just the minimum that the academy allows, which is still most, you know, your internship is still mostly clinical, but still a lot, least amount of hours. Um, and I was there, I was at the VA for that and I would, just loved it. So I did get community care there as well. Um, and then I had a ton of rotations, including the one that offered me a job later where I'm working in community and nothing prepared me for that. I had one community nutrition class. So truthfully, I think the nutrition academia, kind of like the format, it's mostly controlled by how the academy wants it to go. But then it also is what school do you go to? What internship do you get matched to? And that really crafts what you know and how you act and how you talk about nutrition with other people. I think I talk about nutrition the way that I do because I was in a community community internship and I was in Center City, Philadelphia with a diverse uh, faculty, diverse patients and mock patients. It was just, I had, I think I had more opportunity to broaden my uh, perspectives. And we're always aligning against our own values and interests too. And so Maria, I'm sure just hearing how you found Alina and that little spark in you like, oh, that sounds cool. Like you sound like that kind of person that's like constantly looking for opportunities that align with you too. This is true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for everyone listening, just to help you understand, like all dietitians will have the same basic coursework. And that is in part what separates registered dietitians from nutritionists. Not that nutritionists don't have things to offer out in the field or in the community. It's just that there's less standardization around what makes a nutritionist. And so that's why registered dietitians might be preferred for the thing you're looking for, because you have a degree of certainty. That person has gone through some really standardized or basic coursework. But that being said, the reason why you might see differences between all of us is we're all individual freaking people with our own interests and aptitudes. We are going through internships, which are was it 12 or 1600 hours i forget now 1200 right or did they up it didn't they up it it's it's technically uh 1350 it's neither number that i it was 1200 when we did it okay so it's a lot of hours so yeah it truly depends so you have you know we'll say a thousand plus hours of um supervised direct practice oftentimes in a hospital it's bedside with patients who are inpatient but in Maria's case, there was more community. Mine was within a hospital. So I had a lot of clinical and a lot of food service through that. Um, Delita, how about you? Were you mostly focused in one, one area or the other? I, yeah, mine was very clinical. I was also at the VA, see, like Maria and I, like just meant to be. <laughs> I was also at the VA. Um, and as, as Maria said, I think that what shapes dietitians is really the experience that you have during this clinical internship. Um, because again, being in Philadelphia the way that, that I was at the VA, um, yeah, the VA was very, very diverse. I was not seeing, you know, the same kind of patients while I was there. I was definitely, I mean, it was mostly men. So they did have to, um, they did have to take me out a, a, a few weeks before and put me in, a, in another hospital just so that I could work with some women. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, like culturally, speaking, it was very, very diverse. Um, and so, so yes, I think that that's one of the things that's missing. And I think that I'm always talking about on my page is that a lot of the times, you know, dietitians kind of like are in this clinical bubble 
Um, and, if, and, and unfortunately, when we're looking at where these dietetic internships are um, and, and who's applying to these dietetic internships, um, and who's being accepted <laughs> to these dietetic internships, it's all very, um, I'm going to just say it, white. Um, <laughs> and so that's the kind of experience that they're getting. That's where they're coming from. And sometimes it's really hard when, because another thing that we hear a lot about dietitians, and I'm not going to assume is, again, we're very science-based. We're very like, follow these steps. It's standardized. This, the, like, it's really hard for them to like diverge and like look another way. And so we're taught this very weight-centric way. And for some, I feel like it's just so hard to let go of that and see the And, and I don't think the there's rest. like a reason to there's question. Nothing. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, for me as I'm probably like the most like the, the, the template for dietitian, you know, in a white, white person in a straight size body. Yeah. If you don't have lived experience, everything mm -hmm. they're presenting to you is going like, Oh, that makes sense. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Oh yeah. That makes sense. So it's, it's a, it's a disservice when there's a lot of the same people repeating the same things. It's very hard to catch any sort of bias or ask questions like, Oh, that didn't stack up with my experience. Can we look at the data in a slightly different way? Mm -hmm. So for sure, the, that's something that, you know, Delina is really involved with diversified dietetics. Like it makes me so hopeful. They just got their internship approved, yes. I saw, which is so awesome that, um, yeah, the practice experience is going to be enriched by more inclusion over time, which does mean that I think we're going to see more formalized training in things like weight stigma, social determinants of health. Um, health at every size, intuitive eating, things that the three of us have had to go outside of our traditional training and do other trainings and supervisions to really get more, more aptitude in. So totally yeah. part of the, the worldview that people can have. Yeah. And I will, I will say that I was that person that would always be like, um, but <laughs> so I would get in a lot of excuse trouble. So excuse me, excuse me. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? That was always my go-to. Um, but I think that if you're an RD to be listening to this, like, it's okay to stand up and ask questions. I think that that's another thing that I felt very much lacked, um, in the dietetics field, the, the, the being able to ask questions from a vulnerable place and actually wanting to learn. Um, I oftentimes feel like a lot of my professors were like, it's this way or the highway. Um, and they did not like <laughs> being challenged. Um, but if you if you feel comfortable challenging, please do. do this it. is what like Maria as like a second career learner, like you had a different mm -hmm. um, presence probably it, because you've already gone through like world experience. For me, I was like, what, 22 years old. Um, I was like wanting an A so freaking bad, like nobody's business. I needed that A. I wanted to be like the best and do a good job, be a good girl. And so like you're kind of coming off that like high school model of like the teacher's right, do what the teacher says, perform, get the A. We're over time in your career. And that's why I think sometimes finding dietitians who either have lived experience who can relate to you or they've been in the field a little bit longer can sometimes, not always, offer an advantage to, to give you a little bit more of that practice that they've been able to acquire rather than they have a desire to always do what the status quo taught them. Not always, but that's something you want to know is like, how do they think about problems? How do they think about the world? And if that matches with your world brief too. So I'm curious about like weight stigma, intuitive eating, these things I've mentioned, things we really care about, social determinants of health, eating disorders, health at every size. Um, for you all, what, 
what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is that standardly known across all dietitians? Do you think that that's like a standard competency people have, or is that something that consumers should be checking in on if they want that style of service? Um, I feel like the uh, items you listed are, are numerous and broad. Um, so I can hit a few of them and say that currently, um, I believe it is a requirement for uh, dietitian students to know the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot imagine a student leaving with they have to have a community nutrition course. And I cannot imagine you not learning that, not having some sort of practice and some sort of uh, project or assignment related to that. So I feel like you can bank on that. However, how near and dear to their practice is it? How much are they leaning on that? Um, how in the forefront of their mind is that? And that I cannot measure. I don't know if that's an objective or a competency in a dietetic internship. When it comes to eating disorders um, and disordered eating, I can, that is a crapshoot of what is covered in dietetic internships because I, it was like a specialty here. And then it was sort of like, hush, hush, can you get in? Do you know the person? Oh, that dietitian now works in bariatrics and that feels weird. And there were just so many vibes. I'm sorry if you hear my dog barking. That's okay. We welcome all the critters. I'm going to let her out in a moment so she can be quiet. I find that the eating disorder felt like, uh, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Agree. With many uh, internship directors with coursework. And then when it came to intuitive eating, I had to beg my professor at Drexel to approach my assessment, my final counseling assessment, which was recorded. I had two hours of recorded assessment with a patient, a mock patient. I had to beg her to go off script. I said, I am not comfortable telling this person that she has these chronic diseases because of her weight. I don't know anything about her. And this right. is my approach. Um, you know, like I do have this experience of working with people of all different backgrounds. I'm doing a disservice to myself, my education, and this mock person who's <laughs> like a fake patient. And she was open-minded, but she didn't get it. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I would say that so much of what we want from providers is up to how badly the provider wants to offer it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great way of framing it. Like, it's not that dietitians have never heard of these things before. It's that they have a choice as practitioners as we all do. And this is something that took me a while to understand. Um, I think for a long time in my career, I wanted to be like, well, whatever the person in front of me wants and needs is the thing that I will do and be. Um, and then slowly you learn that that doesn't work out for you and it doesn't work out for them. And so dietitians have a choice in what philosophy they're going to root their practice in, just like any practitioner would. And technically, both of these practices can still be named as evidence-based, but as with all emerging science, they're taking the data they have in front of them and then putting it through, this is the art and science intersection, the filter with which they see the world. And of course, they're going to do trainings that back that up. They're not, I'm not going to the weight loss uh, consortium or whatever. That's not going to be going to that as a weight loss dietitian is probably not going to be training in intuitive eating. So it depends. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, that to me is one of the reasons why nuance is lost so much um, in our field, because so much of our symposiums, so much of our education is 
one subject, like not one subject, but like one train of thought. There's not like, there's not this middle ground where you can go and learn. I mean, obviously this fancy, this past fancy that the only one that has happened since, since COVID, which happened to be in Philadelphia was the first time ever in the history of the Academy allowing Evelyn and Elise to come and talk about intuitive eating. And when I tell you, Melissa, you didn't go. When I tell you that the room was packed, you could not walk in. It was like sardines. This is how much dietitians want to learn, want to at least put their toe in, right? Even if they don't agree 100%. And you know, this is something that I know Maria and I talk about a lot. Um, Just because someone doesn't agree with you yet doesn't mean you have to be angry at them. Doesn't mean that they maybe are doing a wrong job like I've had people remember back when like on Instagram you could see what other people were liking and commenting on remember that feature people would be like why are you friends with her um I'm sorry she's a colleague just because we have two different ideas doesn't mean I can't be friendly with her um and so I think that that to me is you know something that we need to understand that is a nuance that as human beings we need to understand that we all learn different things. We all choose the path in which we want to coach and, and be a dietitian in, um, unless it's racism. I, I think that you, you're allowed to like, kind of like choose. <laughs> I don't, don't choose racism ever. Um, but That's a good takeaway. Like, you're, you're allowed to choose to be a bariatric dietitian. You're allowed to choose whatever, right? Like the three of us chose to be this. And if you choose to work with us, that's what you're going to get. But like my mom always says, para los gustos se hicieron los colores. For your likes, colors were made. Okay, so you're allowed to choose. And that's part of being intuitive, understanding your needs and understanding where it is that you want to take your body and where it is that you want to go. A lot of times people get so like wrapped up and like, you know, this dietitian is promoting this message. She knows better. She used to work with the I hear all these kinds of talk and people getting really fired up. And I'm sort of like, look, us in the health at every size movement understand, yes, from an ethical perspective, that the data is not showing what, what weight loss thinks it does, number one. Number two, that diets don't work. But more importantly, from a marketing and a business perspective, the consumer is catching on. We see this with intuitive fasting from Gwyneth a couple of weeks ago. Like, at some point, whether we like it or not, we live in a free market and people have choice in who they work with. And my call to action for intuitive eating dietitian is like, be the best. Be the best, make it such that people leave our service and go, wow, I worked with an intuitive eating dietitian. I've worked with weight loss dietitians. That actually changed my life. That changed my worldview. That changed how I do things. That can often tilt the culture and also serve as dialogue through, I think, your example. Um, So in the absence of like these spaces where we can have dialogue, because there aren't a ton right now, I don't know, I think about how do we just make space for people to use this in a way that's accessible. I think part of um, being the best in uh, in this world with this perspective means, how do I say this without sounding so harsh? It means recognizing that other people aren't going to think you're the best. Yeah. And it also means recognizing that it's the best approach for you as a professional. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be the best approach for every person reading your post. Um, additionally, being the best, it has to do with care and Mm -hmm. delivery of that care. Mm -hmm. It does not necessarily have to do with virality of posts that lack nuance. Furthermore, um, when you refuse to provide evidence for 
what you're standing on, whether it's your lived experience, whether it's just like, this is my hunch. Like I wish more dietitians who believe this would say why they believe this instead of saying why they don't believe weight-centric science. Why can't we just talk about how obsessed we are with how great this is instead of saying, well, diets don't work. How useless is that? Most people know diets don't work because they're doing diets and they know they're not working. We don't need to be the assholes that say, that's not working for you. Come join my one-to-one experience. Like, you really think that's going to help? I don't think that's going to help. I think people want to be met where they are. And sometimes that means dancing the fine line of saying, hey, like, I know it sucks and my approach might not be right for you, but if this is the the product, the end goal you want, then it is. But we can't promise sunshine and rainbows with intuitive eating without acknowledging that there is a science on all sides. Um, You can't just live in a dark place where that doesn't exist. You have to be able to acknowledge what you can offer and what you can't offer. That's how you can be great. Um, that's in every field though, right? Like, it's not like I'm just talking out my ass. Like I was a great teacher because I realized what I could do and what I couldn't do. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, when we get to like Instagram, we'll talk a bit about that. That's where I think some of the nuance gets lost. And that probably generates some of the, not probably, it does generate some of the polarity because, you know, when you get to the point of like getting on a discovery call with a dietitian, you know, we're able to get into those nuances a little bit more, but when you're trying to give a message quickly in a little baby file and a little baby caption, it gets a little bit more sticky. And so, yeah, it's about alignment and being honest about like, what does this thing do and what does it not do? And I think that's where sometimes the criticism of weight loss, I think might have a little bit more weight is when there is obvious omission of some of the symptoms of dieting in the marketing, that's where it gets a little bit like, that's dicey. Like it would be wonderful if there were more caveats listed when you go to buy a service or product related to weight loss. By the same right, we can also be talking about things that happen with intuitive eating. Like there is a lot of grief and emotion that comes up through this process. There is sometimes, um, you know, difficulty around emotional coping and body image. And, And I think that's in part what the service does, but you know, if we're being honest, it isn't all woohoo donuts drive away into the sunset. No, but I think you're right. I think that I, every single discovery call that I have, I say, this is not rainbows and unicorns. You will have ups, you will have downs, you will want to quit. You will sometimes fall off the wagon and you will come back up. It's like waves Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that Again, I know that you two both hear me talking about this all the time. It's about having the choice, Mm -hmm. right? It's about having the choice of whether or not you want to go back to that, which, hey, if that's what you want to do, I'm not here to stop you. Melissa's not going to stop you. Maria's not going to stop you because we're holding space for that. But it's knowing that when you go back there, you know how crappy and shitty you feel that you no longer want to do that. So you will come back and find your place and find your footing Mm -hmm. and do this on your own terms. Yes, there's 10 principles. Yes, we're reading them. Yes, we're talking about them. They don't go in order. Sometimes, you know, you really hate one. You got to think about like, you know, there's, there's such a process and nuance. There's so many questions and, 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 uh, uncertainty (laughs) and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with it, but diet culture just tells you it's this way. This is the only way. And if you fail, it's your fault. 
and that's not true. Yeah. So I think to summarize this whole section of our conversation is ultimately like get clear on what you're wanting and be okay to evaluate the product or service if a registered dietitian is involved, knowing, yes, there's some things that are tried and true about our practice and there's some things that are going to be different and you get to decide who you work with. Sound like a good summary? That's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> Maria, I mean, I'm just kind of gleaning your wisdom. So <laughs> take that compliment, give it back to yourself. All right, my friend. So I want now to talk a little bit specifically about intuitive eating uh, on Instagram, which probably is where most people have found one, if not all of us at some point or another. So Maria, you know, you just did a, a post, I think last week or so, but you talk a lot about the nuances that get missing. What's something that you think um, maybe we're not talking about enough when it comes to intuitive eating or things that maybe get lost in translation about intuitive eating? Yeah, I think that there is, um, there's great conversation on like, you might gain weight, you might lose weight. There's not great conversation on you're allowed to want broccoli. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to eat protein powder. Mm -hmm. Your permission is now open for all foods. What tends to happen is people come from diet culture thinking, which is very black and white, and they're applying that to intuitive, intuitive eating, which is then leading them completely astray because they don't think they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. They don't think they're eating the right foods. Um, most messages I get say, you're such a breath of fresh air. I tried intuitive eating and all I want to do is eat donuts. And I just, it isn't working for me. I'm like, well, what does that have to do with me? But also <laughs> uh, like, what did I do to receive this message? Like, why are people telling me this? And I think it's because people need space also made available to them for reevaluating everything when it comes to how and what they eat. They can wrestle with the weight gain. They can wrestle with getting rid of their food scale. They can get, they can wrestle with not having their scale scale, but there's something about the actual how that is missing. Um, so that it often gets translated like I quit Weight Watchers and now I eat whatever I want. And that's great that you quit Weight Watchers, but there are probably skills you learned in Weight Watchers that you can either now unload but you have to identify them in order to unload them, or you could even borrow some because I know that they're hacking mindful eating in some capacity. We can borrow yeah. the pieces they've hacked and realign them. Um, I even think with folks who start counting macros for the first time that they start to realize, wow, I actually need to eat more food than I thought. Well, let's harness that and let's connect that in a way that doesn't feel like we've hacked intuitive eating and we chopped it up into bite-sized pieces but more like, yeah, you know what? Nutrition really is this weird gray area. We can borrow these thoughts about nourishment and it all does make sense. And it, it actually doesn't have a name, but it's called intuitive eating because that's what it was named and it's 10 principles, right? So I think the nuance that's missing is the how. It's so very much the how because people just think, oh, it's what I, I eat, whatever. Yeah, it's like the off switch has been you know, you, you went, you were on and now you're off. And, and that, that is a, a function of being in, in the diet culture that intuitive eating yeah. can almost become off. I love this idea of like building on what you've learned before, which by the way, is how learning works. Like you're always either adding to what you know currently or assimilating in new information and changing how you think that so two options going forward. And so if there's something that serves you from a past program that you did like, that your body is giving you signals that actually work for me, that felt positive. 
there is nothing stopping you from carrying it forward and maybe maybe using the principles to nestle that in a little differently but there's nothing stopping you from enjoying broccoli. I had a client say today, like, I like broccoli. And like, she was real, like strong about it. I was like, go to town. I'm like, that's fabulous. For sure. I think, I think what I often hear, it's this idea that nutrition isn't there. Mm. Right. Mm, yeah. Like I get, like when I did the women's health um, webinar the other day, a lot of the comments I received were like, nobody ever talks about nutrition when it comes to intuitive eating. Right. Um, nobody ever talks about like, you know, why the recommendations are what they are and what the gray area is for you to be able to apply them in your everyday, right? Which is what I'm very passionate about because I did not go to school to know how food travels down your GI system and gets broken down, okay? To not utilize it. Magic I want school bus style. I use that reference all the time. Are you a fly in the wall in one of my calls? We just, we just have a lot of similar humor. I don't know. <laughs> I want to be Miss Frizzle. She's I a curly hair. Miss Frizzle is a curly hair hero. You think we were going to miss her? I don't think and so. I want to travel down your esophagus into your stomach and show you how it works. No. <laughs> that would be so, so weird on any other podcast to say that, yeah. but I like I, that. No. I like that about you. I, I think that this is what makes it such a great space for us to work one-on-one or in groups with with anybody that's on the fence or doesn't understand this is because we're able to apply this knowledge, right? And understanding that these are recommendations. These are guidelines. These are not set in stone, right? Everybody's body is different. Um, And so, yes, I think that a lot of people when they see intuitive eating, they're scared. They, they just don't understand how they're able go, how they're a, ever able going to eat a vegetable. Or, why can't I speak today? How they are ever going to eat a vegetable again? Um, because that's one of the fears, right? And it's like, no, no, no. It's very much part of all of this. this I think too, situation. like intuitive eating, at least in my perception of this on social media, you can tell me, you can tell me if you think this is like a, I've never said this out loud before. I feel like it, it did come a lot out of the eating disorder community in the beginning on social media, where the messages were framed and shaped in a way for the person with an eating disorder who maybe does need a little bit more sensitivity and maybe does need to put some of this nutrition messaging in, in the back burner in the beginning um, as a result of the disorder thinking associated with that. And so over time, I think we're seeing in the space more folks like Delina and myself who may work with people in stable recovery, but mostly are working with what we might call chronic dieters or lifelong dieters. Um, and so it's not that nutrition isn't part of it. I think that maybe there's some, some trepidation or nervousness sometimes for us as marketers or, or you know, in that type of messaging space to throw too much nutrition at you, not knowing your history with that. And, I don't know how you think like people are just trying to be sensitive to triggers, but also sometimes there's dissatisfaction in the audience, like what we need more. And it's kind of hard to ride that line, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge part for me because I feel like the same as Selena, like, why do I know all these things? And anytime I'm talking to someone about why they can eat carbs, I'm using science. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's the patriarchy that makes you feel like you can eat white bread, which, but it's also like, you can eat white bread because of all these other reasons. Correct. Right. Right. Metabolism. And I find that that is my niche is, Mm -hmm. and I have, I have fought it so much. Like, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to be general. I'm going to be so, I'm going to be so mindful and so thoughtful about not being about nutrition that it was making, it was making my practice not feel authentic. 
because how I reach a client is through science, is through them connecting with their body and their scientific, scientific physiological cues, psychological cues, emotional cues, like things that are existing in your body at all times that our super busy world distracts us from all the time. Um, and I think, you know, while I hear you say, I don't want to overload people with nutrition, in my mind, I feel like sometimes that's the best way to provide clarity is this very neutral thing of like, here's how carbs work. And it's very disarming to people. And so maybe people aren't ready to hear it. And I'm glad that you shared that. So I have that as a nugget of wisdom um, to be thoughtful. I also feel like there needs to be a balance. Like there needs yeah, to be I agree. Balance. Some concept of like, yes, there's the behavioral and the psychological, but it is, is a physical scientific practice in so mm -hmm. many other ways. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so important to, to own that with pride. It seems as though a lot of dietitians leave clinical or they're working on their private practice in clinical. Right. They mm -hmm. finally make the leap and they're coming from a place they resent so much. They resent yeah. their clinical job. They resent the bullshit that they had to put in their notes, having to calculate BMI off the top of their heads. Like these, they were heavy weights, right? Yeah. Of just like, why am I doing this? And so you almost see a, a resent. A resent yeah. Like yeah. And it comes again, like who, what is your dietitian story? Like mm -hmm. um, all of us is we're, we're, we're essentially teachers. Like we're informed by our experience. And so you're, you're allowed to investigate on that. And, you know, to this extent, we're like, you know, Maria's philosophy and who she might perceive as an ideal client or who she can really best serve as the specific genre and tool that you offer might be different than mine and Delina's and so if you are on your feed and you're like Maria said something in a way that Melissa might not have said that resist the urge to be like Maria equals good Melissa equals bad and say like <laughs> Maria Maria has a point of view if it's not jiving with me or it is jiving with me I might choose to engage more or less with these accounts in a really thoughtful and nuanced way, because what do you want the most? That's always a question. What do you want the most out of your life? Why are you pursuing intuitive eating? Is it that you want to be free of guilt with your family? Is it because your gut's going bananas and you're trying to figure it out? Is it, is it you want to be strong and physically active without feeling like that's punishing? Those are three very different problems. And I can mm -hmm. think of probably three different dietitians who would be mm -hmm. perfect for each of those. Mm -hmm. So be thoughtful about that. Um, not every dietitian is going to serve your every need. You got to find the one that, that aligns with exactly. what you want. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's why we all market ourselves in different ways. So just because we're intuitive dietitians doesn't mean that we're going to be talking about the same thing all the time. We're going to be talking to our audience and we're going to talk about what our ideal client is going to look like, right? And who we want to reach. I know that I want to reach women of the Latinx culture that want to understand how the heck they're going to eat their, you know, their foods that they grew up eating and not feel guilty about it. And that does involve nutrition. And I do talk a lot about nutrition, not on Instagram, because honestly, I'm over it. Um, <laughs> but on discovery calls, on one-on-one -on -one calls, on group calls, all of this is happening. Melissa has her own way of coaching and who she's reaching, right? And so we all have a niche. We all have an ideal client. We all have someone that we want to help. And we're sending you, you guys to it. each other yeah, too. And yes, like, I am constantly, <laughs> people come to my discovery calls and I'm like, oh, mm, this person is going to be so, and they're so shocked. They're so shocked that they're like, you're actually referring me out. Yes, I am because I know my limits. <laughs> and and there's, there's someone for us, just like there's yes. someone for you. Like 
that's the beauty of, of being on social media. It's like, mm-hmm. you do have an opportunity to spend, you know, my clients, I would say on average, spend three, anywhere from three months to a year following me before they mm-hmm. actually yes. apply. Yes. You get a long time hanging out with us, you know, be <laughs> the podcast too is helpful. I know people are like, oh yeah, listen to the podcast episodes. So you know, nothing's a surprise when we work together, you know, mm-hmm. even the cadence of my voice, <laughs> like that, those things are going to be be evaluated and that's part of why we do this um you know in the terms of our business is to let you see us and let you know for sure if you want to move forward or not and we have to remember that social media currently as as it exists uh thrives on polarity Mm -hmm. and um even within niches even Mm -hmm. within um one subject like nutrition you're going to feel the desire to compare oh that's different from the last thing i saw and it's because uh, it's a system that's encouraging you to stay on apps as long as humanly possible, to be exposed to ads as long as humanly possible. And we have to be bigger than that system and be willing to think about how humans are different and special and dietitians are different and special and they are absolutely allowed to have different perspectives and niches. I will argue though, we have an academy that is sponsored by Herbalife in many capacities, right? Exhibitors, can assign themselves to work with the academy. The academy can have advertising that is paid that they don't really have control over, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to think about like, we have to hold ourselves accountable to do a great job. Yeah, um, That's what makes our field beautiful mm-hmm. is that accountability. So when people see my post, sometimes they feel like it's a call out, uh, but I think it's truly a call out for help. Like, hello, let's make this even better. Yeah, um, Let's not put ourselves into this social media swing of, right and wrong black and white yeah yeah it's work and it's it's a process which i'm really happy to be had a chance to talk about today so we have covered so much here i guess maria as we close today maybe what's one takeaway you want the listener to leave with as they navigate social media and figuring out which dietitians they might be uh listening to you don't have to choose um you don't necessarily have to choose intuitive eating or dieting you can choose strength you can choose improved performance, better sleep, improved mental health. You can improve your relationship with food. You can improve your entire, I call it enhancements. So we're not going to make any changes. We're just going to enhance. And people love that. Instagram is a great way to get to know people. It's a great way to learn more about what they have to offer. And you don't have to choose a principle or a mentality. You get to choose what you want for yourself. And there is a practitioner who has that lens for you. Got to do the work of finding it. It's not one size fits all, but try not to wedge yourself into thinking I'm either losing weight or I'm giving up that those aren't the worlds. You get to just choose you and what that looks like is so entirely different for everyone. So that's my biggest takeaway for people. I mean, that's mic drop, mic drop moment. Um, (laughs) Whenever you said enhancement, I thought of Tan France on Queer Eye when he comes, he's like, oh, we're going to make you, but elevated. (laughs) It's like, we're going to do you, but elevated. So that is very much what a, what a, uh, a dietitian that's a fit for you will elevate. (laughs) And I think, I think again, one, one thing that I I just want to make sure as I'm recapping here, what I think that you just said, Maria is that intuitive eating right now is very much a buzzword. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, yes, we use it. And I love being an intuitive eating dietitian. But sometimes when, you know, you know, I did a, a talk with, uh, with Balanced um, Eating Disorder uh, Treatment Center in New York, and they asked me like, so how do you do, how do you translate that in Spanish? I was like, I don't, it's just eating. There's, there's oh. I don't use a word 
intuitive eating in Spanish. It's just eating. And I feel like that's what we need to understand. We're, we're using this word, but really it's just eating, enhancing, connecting, being at peace. It's just being who you are. Yeah, that's what it's about. Well, Maria, thank you so much for your wisdom. Um, I suspected you would have all the wisdom and you delivered, my friend. Oh, so I appreciate sweet. you. I love that we were able to be connected through Delina. Um, love following you. And so again, they can find you at... Oh, at vitamin underscore Ray. Okay. Um, we'll put you in show notes too. Yeah, if you're interested in traveling to New Orleans and finding tasty food, uh, at Eat Fit Nola has all of those great options for you, especially helpful for allergies and chronic disease management, um, which I think is awesome. That's amazing. Oh, once this is over, I've never been to New Orleans and I understand it's the food experience. I'm very, really sad. It's fancy not happening. Just going to Florida. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> we missed our opportunity. Oh no. All right. Well, we're going to. No, we did it. I'm going. So, yeah. So, Fancy is our, our dietitian's conference. So, we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Maybe someday we'll meet in New Orleans. I think another, another yeah. life. All right, Maria. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being who you are. You're awesome. I thank love this conversation time. and we will see you around. Thank you. Thanks for having right. me. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh, when you get a couple dietitians together, they get to talk in Delina. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I yes, we loved do. Maria's perspective. That was a great conversation. And I'm really excited about it because I haven't seen a lot of like public discussion about yeah. just the spectrum of care people can choose, how to navigate, mm -hmm. what's going on on Instagram. So I really hope that helped all of you listening to make sense of what you're, you're finding and hopefully find messages and persons that best represent you and your needs so yes yes and you know you know that I love me some Maria but yeah if you're here I think that if you love this episode we want you to share it with others who are also on this journey trying to break the diet cycle maybe leave us a little review five stars you know help others also heal their relationship with food it's so true. I am getting messages. I know Delina is too, that people are finding our podcast by searching for body image stuff or searching <laughs> for intuitive eating, which means that your reviews are helping us get found by people who maybe don't know about what we're doing yet. So we so appreciate the time you're taking to give us five stars, leave a review, let people know it's worth their time to hang out with us and give it a listen. Um, I want to thank you for being here with us and for being who you are. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.